Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Hallelujah. I've got a couple of scriptures. I'm going to read them here in just a few minutes. And I'm going to use my Passion Bible this morning. So when I get to them, there was never a day like the day Jesus died. The earth never has experienced a day before it or since it. If you go through the four Gospels, each one, Matthew and Mark, Luke and John, they all give a revelation of that day and all of them all of them have things that are common to each, to all four of them. And then each one of them carries something that is unique to the particular book that's being written. And if you read all four books, and a good study to do is to get you a notepad and to write down, this happened in John, this happened in Luke, this happened in Mark, this happened in... And you'll get a full picture of what went on that day. What an ominous day it was. I believe in my own heart that the earth and the universe itself never has come closer to extinction than upon that day. Because Jesus is the Word of God, and by the Word of God and by Jesus Christ, the Bible says all things consist and find their existence. And that unique day in which all of the different things, I'll try to go through some of them and how unique they were. One of them was the people that offered Him up. You know, he was not judged nor condemned by the government that was in authority. He was judged by a religious crowd that was given limited authority because they felt like, the Roman government felt like, that through that limited authority they could control the religious mindset of the Jewish people. So they gave limited authority to the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin, basically, for lack of a better term, is what the Levitical priesthood had evolved into. But what is unique about them is they were given the legal right by God to offer sacrifice on behalf of God. As Brother Roland said earlier, a man had no access to God. He had no access. A person living before Jesus' time, just you know, an American Indian or, a, or an Eskimo or a uh, you know, some a Chinese person who they couldn't just cry out to God. There was no access. Man was totally separated and segre segregated from God. And God gave the right for one little group of people in a little country in the Middle East to approach Him based on the law He had given them and the bleeding sacrifice of a spotless lamb. Now, Rome was different than other ancient cultures. They prided themselves on their, quote, modern governmental style. And they were the first nation that ruled the world that allowed people a trial where you could present evidence, where people would be judged based on the evidence that were presented, and then a verdict would be rendered. That started with Rome. And what's amazing about Rome is that Rome was the one that declared him spotless. Three times Pontius Pilate tried to let him go. Three times Pontius Pilate said, I find no fault. I find no fault. I find no fault. And the Bible says, for fear of the people, he's speaking about the Jewish people that is gathered. He turned Jesus over to them. What's also unique is upon that particular Passover holiday, 
the Roman government would, would allow the release of a prisoner. That prisoner that particular day was a man named Barabbas. Everybody heard, anybody heard of Barabbas? Barabbas was unique in that he was convicted and sentenced to die, sentenced to be crucified, as a person who had brought insurrection against the Roman government and murdered, actually murdered, Roman soldiers in that insurrection. He had been given a death sentence. What's also unique was the way in which men died in that day, which was crucifixion. There were thousands upon thousands of people that were crucified by the Roman government. Most of them, their hands were not pierced. They were not whipped. Uh, they were literally suffocated to death in a very cruel and unusual way in which they mounted the human body upon a cross, bent the arms in a certain way, bent the legs in a certain way, so that every time you breathe, you had to push up with your legs and pull in with your arms in order to get a breath. And eventually, over time, you would suffocate. You would lose the strength of your legs. You would lose the strength of your arms. And you would die. But the piercing was reserved for the murderers. The just for the unjust was Jesus. The just for the unjust was Jesus. They beat him horribly. The guy that handled the whip in the Roman army was called the Roman lictor. They tied the victim to the whipping post. The Roman whip was an ominous weapon. It was anywhere from 9 to 11 feet long. And in the end of the whip, the leather straps that were on the whip, there were braided into the leather glass and, and broken metal sharp objects, and that man that whipped, he was, a, he was an expert at it, and he knew exactly how to bring that whip back, wrap it around the body so that the glass and the sharp objects would embed in the flesh of the victim. Then he knew exactly how to pull it back with a flip of the wrist and just rip the flesh right off the body. Most men that suffered 40 stripes, that's 40 stripes minus one, one for mercy, died because of the whipping. But during that time of tremendous torture that Jesus endured, he was accumulating something. Isaiah paints the clearest picture, Isaiah chapter 53. It says, he was wounded for our transgressions. Wounds are outward. Transgressions are the acts we commit against God that are the outward breaking of his law. He was bruised for our iniquity. That's the inward motivation on the inside that motivates mankind to break the laws of God. Bruises are inward. He was chastised. They slapped him. They pulled out his beard. They, they, the very people in which he was, their covenant God, were, were telling him all kinds of hideous things like, come down off the cross, you've saved others, save yourself, mocking him, mocking who he was. He bore his cross to a place called Golgotha, place of the skull. They platted a crown of thorns and placed it upon his head, which is a sign of the fall. When man fell, nature fell. When nature fell, the Bible says that thorns begin to grow on the plants. Did you know in creation there were no thorns? The thorns are a sign of the fall. They placed it upon Jesus' head. Everything was symbolic, but everything also had a reality to it. They set him upon that cross and nailed his hands and his feet. And as he suffered upon the cross, 
He accumulated all that was wrong with humanity, the sin, the sickness, the iniquity, the perversion, the addiction, every sickness and disease that could ever be upon the earth. That's why they whipped his back. And upon that cross he died not because of the nails, not because of the whipping, not because of the crown. He died because of our sin. Only sin can separate man from God. And Jesus died with your sin and he died with my sin so that he might redeem us and bring us eternal life. They had a place in the temple called the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelt. That day was so unique. The Bible says that darkness was on the face of the whole earth. Now that's unique because that we know that at any given time, it's 11.50 here in Galveston, Texas, Central Time in America, North America. But you could go around the world somewhere and it'd be 11.50 at night, be dark. So at any given time, half of the earth is dark. But there's no solar eclipse that can darken the other half. It's usually just a small strip. I actually was in a full solar eclipse in Honduras preaching a crusade one time. It was, it was an ominous thing to see the, the sky go dark. So it was not a eclipse that took place because Passover always happens on new moon. You have to have a full moon to have an eclipse. It was that the sun refused to shine on the scene that was taking place on the earth for its very own creator was dying on behalf of man. The earth shook, the Bible says, not with just an earthquake, but with a great earthquake so violent that it opened the graves in Jerusalem and many of the Old Testament saints stepped out of their grave and began to walk around in Jerusalem and were seen for many days, the Bible says. That veil in the temple that separated the, outer, the inner court from the Holy of Holies, which theologians tell us was approximately almost four feet wide and about a half a football field long wrapping around the Holy of Holies was split from top to bottom as the presence of God left the earth and went back to heaven. And Jesus died on the cross crying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Christianity itself has fallen into a very weak place when it comes to spiritual things. We certainly don't claim that here at Island Church. We believe the letter of the Word of God. One of the greatest heresies... Christianity, Christianity says one of the greatest heresies in the church today are those that believe or that would dare to believe that Jesus actually went to hell. I can show you six different scriptures in the Bible that prove he did. Acts chapter 2 being one that says, actually I would not leave his soul in hell. If he did not go to hell, you'll have to. Because redemption was full and complete. And he bore not only our sin, our iniquity, our disease, he bore our punishment. Because of that we have eternal life. Three days and three nights, you could imagine what that must have been like. In heaven and on earth. Had to be the darkest time the earth has ever saw. Heaven had to be quiet. I guarantee you the, the, the rejoicing and the, and the glorifying of God. But you know, the devil's not very smart. So don't give him as much credit as you do. He made a mistake. The Bible says if the princes of this world would have known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. We used to have a tape series. I told this through the early service. 
When we used to travel and, you know, back during the technology of the cassette tape, we would sell cassette tapes out in the foyer of many of the meetings that we held, and we had one called God's Atom Bomb. You know, you can beat up someone with your fist or a stick, stab them with a knife, cut them with a sword, shoot them with a gun, throw a hand grenade on them, shoot them with a piece of artillery, but if you really want to get rid of them, drop an atom bomb on them. That'll do the job. That'll pretty much do it. There's a great book called The Manhattan Project. You ought to read it it's if you want to know about nuclear things. In the book, The Manhattan Project, it talks about the development of the atom bomb and its testing out in the desert of the Southwest. There were scientists that believed that we were doing something that would cause a rip in the fabric of the universe, and all the universe would implode into it, and everything would be gone. Others believed nothing would happen. Some believe it'd just be a great explosion. They placed the atom bomb on top of a huge stainless steel tower made out of the most uh, modern, at that day, 1940, I think, 44, the most modern uh, 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 tempered stainless steel that could be made. So they hunkered down in their bunkers and they let that bomb explode. And the generals that wrote the reports one, one, one scientist, after looking over the general's report, said it sounded more like poetry than it did a military report. They talked about the awesomeness of God. They talked about how they, you know, one, one general actually said, I felt like I looked into the face of God. So they went out to do an examination of the area. One square mile of the desert had turned into glass. They looked for any sign of the stainless steel tower. They could not find it. The, the scientists determined that that stainless steel tower had been boiled to a liquid and burned to a vapor. It was gone. Well, I tell you, down in hell itself, for three days and three nights, Satan had high carnival. And Jesus suffered our punishment so we would not have to. But I tell you, on that third day, that atom bomb went off in the regions of the dam and Jesus rose up victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and everything that tied man to the bondage of the fall has been boiled to a liquid and burned to a vapor. Now let me read a couple of scriptures real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll just read these scriptures. We'll come back and look at it for just a moment. And I'm reading in the Passion Bible. If you're following in another translation, then just bear with me. Verse 1 1 Corinthians 15, Dear friends, let me give you clearly the heart of the gospel that I have preached to you, the good news that you have hardly received and on which you stand. For it is through the revelation of the gospel that you're being saved. If you fasten your life firmly to the message I have taught you, unless you have believed in vain, for I have shared with you what I have received and what is of the utmost importance, that the Messiah died for our sins, Fulfilling the prophecies of Scripture, he was buried in a tomb. He was raised from the dead after three days. As foretold in the Scriptures, then he appeared unto Peter, Peter the Rock, and the twelve apostles. He also appeared to more than 500 of his followers at the same time, most of whom are still alive. As I write this, though a few have passed away. Go down to verse 16. If the dead aren't raised up, that would mean Christ has not been raised up either. And if Christ is not alive, 
you are still lost in your sin and your faith is a fantasy. It would also mean that those believers in Christ who have passed away have simply perished. If the only benefit of our hope in Christ is limited to this life on earth, we deserve to be pitied more than all others. Now listen to this. But the truth is, Christ is risen from the dead as the first fruits of a great resurrection, a harvest of those who have died. For since death came through one man, Adam, it is fitting that the resurrection of the dead also come through one man, Christ. Even as all who are in Adam die, so also all who are in Christ will be made alive. Ephesians chapter 1, that great prayer that begins there in verse 16. I'm going to read in verse 19. Verse 19, I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. This is the mighty power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to a place of highest honor and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. And now he is exalted as first above every ruler, authority, government, and realm of power in existence. He is gloriously enthroned over every name that is ever praised, not only in this age, but in the age that is coming. The most significant event to ever take place on the earth was the day that stone was rolled away and the tomb was found empty. There had been people raised from the dead. We know that they threw a dead soldier into Elisha's tomb. And those bones literally caused him to be raised from the dead. Elijah raised a, a woman who he had ministered to. Her son had died during a harvest, and he went and raised that son from the dead. Jesus raised the woman from Nain, her son from the dead. Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. But nobody had ever been raised from death. They had been raised from the dead, but they had never been raised from death because death is something unique to the individual. Death is unique to all of humanity. For when one man died, Adam, he brought us all into the realm of death. Humanity is born into death. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. Thank God he made a way where there seemed to be no way. And when that resurrection power was released... Because many times we mistakenly judge the power of God inherent in the Gospels and in the Old Covenant as being that which is the power of God limited. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, we saw him raise the dead. We saw him heal uh, a woman with an issue of blood. We saw him heal lepers. We saw him heal the blind. We saw him heal cripples. We saw him walk on the water. We saw him take a few loaves of bread, a few fish, and feed thousands of people. But listen, God wants us to know the true demonstration of my power is not something that happened in the Gospels or the Old Covenant. The true demonstration of my power is when Christ was raised from the dead, and it is a demonstration demonstration of power toward usward who believe. All life outside of Christ is powerless. 
So, well, Pastor, there's some men and women on this earth that have great power. Look at what they're doing. Look at what's going on in the world. Look how, uh, you know, these viruses and, and this political upheaval and this social unrest. Look how much power some people, they have no power. They have no power. Truly the only people on the planet that have any power is a believer that knows his God Amen. and has been empowered by the new birth and empowered by the Holy Ghost. Yes. Amen. Amen. When Jesus raised from the dead, what a stir that was. Mary Magdalene and the other women, I like John chapter 20, that's one of my favorite. They ran to the tomb, saw the tomb was empty. Ran and got Peter and John. They ran back, looked in. John believed a miracle. Peter doubted. But later on, after he had risen from the dead, he began to expound unto them what the scriptures had said. We know that's all old covenant scripture about him being raised from the dead. They couldn't get it, but then he said this. Then he opened the eyes of their understanding. The first thing Jesus began to do was begin to allow men to be enlightened, not by information from man, but information from God. We said this in the early service, and I've, it bears repeating. The greatest revelation you can have is, number one, I'm a sinner. Secondly, I need a Savior. Third, there is a Savior. And fourth, how to receive Him as Lord. And I guarantee you, if you receive Him as Lord and Savior, all of the power of that resurrection is released on your behalf not to give you a changed life, but to give you a brand new life. That's why the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creature. That old things have passed away and all things are new. So the entire drama of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ encompasses the power of God. Paul put it this way, that our faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of Almighty God. Years ago, I was bound by things that I was powerless over. They controlled me. I did not control them. They had a hold of my life. I didn't have a hold of them. They ruled my life. They reigned in my life. And I could find no one, no way out. So I lived submitted to it year after year after year. But one day with a simple prayer, after a simple message, I said yes to Jesus. And everything that I could not do for myself was done for me. I realize now it was done 2,000 years ago. But on that day, which I accepted it, that resurrection power was released into my life. Lee and I, as we've traveled the world and witnessed the power of God, we've seen some wonderful things. Healings, miracles, cripples healed, blind eyes open. No man can do that. That's that power of God that's still in resident in the earth today. The signs, the wonders, the miracles... Everything that makes God wonderful in who He is, He's not reserved it in heaven unto Himself as much of Christianity says. No, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Still risen, still the Savior, and still the healer. The most powerful force on the earth that is of man is His will. Nothing is more powerful than the will of man. I watched a movie years ago there was a boxer, they called him Hurricane Carter. I think the name of the movie was The Hurricane. And, and, and the guy was a boxer and he, and, and he was good and he was, you know, uh, 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 I guess uh, heading toward whatever title of whatever weight group he was in. And a crime was committed in his area and they framed him for it. He was unjustly, unjustly framed. 
And what's unique about his story is although they put him in prison, he refused to be a prisoner. His will was so strong, he would not put on prison garb. They put him in solitary for months. He would not submit to any of their rules. All they could do was keep him within the four walls of the, of the prison. He refused to wear their clothes. He refused to do it because he had this will. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. And thank God for him that some students in Canada, about 18 years after he'd been in prison, began to study his case and found out that he was innocent. He was released. But that shows you how strong the will of man is. Even in that prison setting, he would not bow to even the law of the land and be a prisoner because they said he was. That shows you how strong the human will is. And it is one thing that God will not violate. Being saved is a choice. Drinking of the living water, eating of the living bread is the choice that the man has to make, that the woman has to make. All of life, all of life is designed for you to take your willpower and make a decision. Life is about one decision. I know we have all these other decisions. Decide who we're going to marry, decide where we're going to live, decide the career we're going to be involved in, all these other decisions. But let me say it like this. You can get every decision of life right. You can marry the right husband or wife. You can marry the right, you can, you can go to the right school, get the right career, make the right amount of money drive the right car, live in the right house. Everything in your life could be right, 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 right because of the choices you've made. But if you don't make this choice, all of that will be for naught. All of that will be for naught. But you can make bad choices. Marry the wrong person. Live in the wrong state. Work at the wrong job. I mean, everything, you say, well, Pastor, every choice I've ever made has been wrong. I got good news. There's one choice you can make that will make everything all right. And that's to choose Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Great friend of our church, Brother Christopher Alam. Most of you know his stories, read his books, raised in Pakistan, young man in the military. His brother had gone to Mecca and visited the tomb of Muhammad. And it greatly inspired his brother. So his brother was having a, having a conversation with him and telling him, you know, I've been there and I, I was so inspired to to stand by the tomb and, and know that the bones of Muhammad were right there in that tomb. Well, that just opened the door for Christopher. And he said, I've been to Jerusalem, and I also have stood at a tomb. He said, but the tomb I stood at was open, and the tomb was empty. I believe it's John's depiction of the burial of Jesus Wonderful man went and begged the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says he had hewed out a new tomb in a garden. You don't put tombs in gardens. There's great significance there. Because in a garden, man fell. Lost everything that was precious and valuable what God had created him to be. But in another garden, man was redeemed. The stone is rolled away. The tomb is still empty. Jesus is still Lord. Now here we live at the very last of the last days. I don't know how much longer we have. I was talking to a minister friend of mine the other day. He said, there's nothing left. Nothing left to be fulfilled. The nations that are gathering together for the Ezekiel 38 war are in treaty right now. 
Everything that is going on that Paul wrote to Timothy about the perilous times. People will be lovers of themselves. They would have a form of godliness but deny the power. That all, of that, all of that's happened. Literally the only thing left is the shout of an archangel and a trump of God sounding. The Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise. Whenever we do funerals, I always point out to people standing at the grave, this is temporary, and I want you to notice, notice why it's temporary. We've dressed your loved one in their finest clothes. Why would we do that? What a waste of good clothes. If there's finality to the grave, it is a waste. Notice the casket. It has hinges on it, which means it can be opened, closed, and opened again. And we die in faith, and we we're buried in faith. And one day, one of the most exciting places to be will be a graveyard. As that trump sounds, as that voice of an archangel is shouted, and as every place a believer has been placed in the ground begins to shake, and those hinges work for the last time, and that grave opens up. You say, but pastor, what if people, they've been dead, some of them for over 2,000 years. They're nothing but dust. The power of the resurrection is so powerful that it will gather every molecule of their body and bring it right back to a living, existing being. And we will rise into the clouds to meet Jesus and forever be with him in glory. Hallelujah. Raise your hands and thank God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Every head bowed, every eye closed quickly for just a moment. Nobody looking around. As I said earlier, life is a decision. You make a decision to accept or reject. There's always people that say, well, Pastor, you know, I, I'm a good man. I've lived a good life. I'm a good woman. I've lived a good life. That's all well and good, but without Jesus. It's one of the mysteries of the gospel, how a man or woman can live a good life on the earth, die and go to a sinner's hell. And a person live a hideous life in the last breath of their life, cry out to Jesus, be saved and go to heaven. That's because Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. So I want to give two quick invitations. After I do, we'll do it very simply with one not ask you to come to the front, stand up or do anything in any way that would, might embarrass you. First of all, if you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, what a great day to be born again, Easter Sunday. What a great day. Secondly, you say, I've lived for God. I've been born again. I've been saved. But I'm out of fellowship. I'm not living right. I'm not doing right. I need to get back right with God. Either one of those two. If that's you, I want you to simply do one thing. As people are bowing their heads in reverence to God, closing their eyes in respect to people around them. If you say, Pastor, that's me, please pray for me. Would you raise your hand real quick and put it down so that I can see it? Hand over here. You can put it down after you've raised it. Another hand over here. God bless you. You can put it down once you've raised it. Another hand. God bless you. You can put it down once you've raised it. Anyone else? Anyone else? Don't let this day pass you by. Don't let the light of God shine upon you and reject it. Don't do that. Life is too short. 
Heaven is real, but so is hell. And Jesus died so you would not have to go there. Anyone else? Quickly. We've had several raise their hand. There's another hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Quickly. One more time. I'll look. Another hand. God bless you. Now I want everyone to stand. And what we're going to do, there's several that have raised their hand. We're going to pray a prayer together, all of us together. And I want everyone to pray this prayer out loud so that your own ears hear it. And you that have lifted your hand, after we pray this prayer, I want you to settle it. I'm right with God. I'm right with God. I'm right with God. Amen? Ready, church? Ready? Everybody ready? Here we go. Heavenly Father, right now, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you that you sent Jesus, your only begotten Son, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, shed His blood, did it all for me. I believe it. I receive it. I accept it. It's mine. Heavenly Father, areas of my life in which I seem to be so weak, I confess to you all that I've done that is broken fellowship. But I thank you today my fellowship is restored. Thank you, Jesus. Your blood cleanses me from all sin and all unrighteousness. April the 4th, 2020. I am right with God. Jesus is my Lord. Heaven is my home. I will never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, lift your hands and rejoice with them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. As we leave, we appropriate that beautiful scripture Pastor Leah read, Psalms 91. We declare no evil befalls us. No plague comes nigh our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. Therefore, in all of our travels, on the highways, seaways, airways, railways, or any other way of travel or transportation, thank you that we are protected. The righteous labor of our hands, the work that we do, our careers, our jobs. Lord, we thank you we're not subject to trials, to trauma, to accidents, to evil plans of wicked men or the devil himself. We abide under the shadow of the Most High. Thank you, Father, also for the fire of evangelism that burns in our heart. Let us share this blessed message, this divine hope of Jesus risen from the dead, Lord and King of all. Father, we thank you that we will, each and every one of us, we will be an answer to somebody's prayer, a problem to the devil, a miracle in someone's life. We leave today walking in faith and love towards you. We walk in love toward one another. Thank you for our church. We live as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, anointed by the Holy Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com. Hallelujah, Jesus.